You know, many times in life, we really do not understand what God is doing. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been in the situation where you said, I don't understand this? What is going on and what's God trying to do? Well, that was the case about 2,000 years ago in Jerusalem with Jesus and those who were following him. The people believed basically that he was a revolutionist, that he was going to liberate Israel from any type of bondage, any type of leadership from Rome. And he was gaining momentum and popularity, his teaching, his love, compassion, and his miracles. And so people were following him. He came into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, what we celebrated last week. But then in just a few short days, things began to unravel. And they began to change because all of a sudden, Jesus began to teach some things that he had not taught before. And he did something that he had never done before. We're going to look at that in the Gospel of Luke. And it's chapter number 19, verses 45 through 48. This is what it says. When Jesus entered the temple courts, he began to drive out those who were selling. It is written, he said to them, my house will be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. Every day he was teaching at the temple, but the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the leaders among the people were trying to kill him. Yet they could find no they could, find, they could not find any way to do it because all the people hung on his every word. They were trying to do away with Jesus, but they really couldn't find a way. They were confused, and the people began to get confused because they realized that the public opinion had turned against Jesus. You know, we look back in the Old Testament when Moses led Israel out of bondage, but God led Moses to lead Israel right to the edge of the Red Sea. And here comes Pharaoh's army right behind them. Israel had no place to go. That was a time when they wondered, hey, what's God doing? What's going on here? Another time was when Goliath was confronting Israel and no one was bold enough to fight him. And here comes David with a slingshot and a few stones. People were wondering, what, what's going to happen here? I don't understand what's going on. I think of Gideon. And here he's facing an army, an enemy, and he tries to gather as big of an army as he could. But then God said, you have too many people. Eliminate some. Get some to go back home. Send some home. And God dwindled his army down to 300 against tens of thousands of the enemy. What is God doing? And when we look at Jesus Christ going to the cross, we've got to wonder, what is God doing? Well, as I mentioned, this is an illustrated message, and I've asked uh, Ben and Ron to help me today. So these guys are going to help and going to illustrate what we're really talking about today. So they've got their plan. And they're going to start working, and you're going to hear their drills, and uh, hopefully uh, they don't bang a finger and uh, yell out something, but uh, these guys are going to help me today, and I appreciate them doing that so much, uh, Ben Jackson and Ron Duke. So we're trying to figure out, God, what are you doing? 
What are you really up to? God, are you going to set us free or not? You've healed us. You've taught us. You've shown us mercy. But what is this that's happening now, the cross, where Jesus Christ was hung on the cross, what we know now is to pay the price of our sin. But the people of that day were trying to figure it out, just like we're trying to figure out a lot of things today. You see, when Jesus said, he whom the Son sets free is free indeed, I wonder what they were thinking at that time. I guess they were thinking, sure enough, he's going to push the Romans out. Our oppressors are going to be gone, and now we're going to be free. Jesus said, we're going to be free. Jesus also said, I have come to seek and to save that which is lost. Israel must have thought, he's talking about us. He's come to save us. We feel lost because we're not in control of our own land. We're not in control of our own government. We're lost. And here comes this revolutionist who's going to set us free, liberate us, but now he's hanging on a cross. It's Good Friday, and they don't understand what's happening. Have you been in that situation where it seems like Friday, everything's going downhill, what you expected to happen isn't happening? You're probably wondering what these guys are building. What's this going to look like? How is this illustration going to work? Just like many times we wonder, God, what are you doing? Is it going to work? Are you going to fulfill your promises in my life? Some of you have been in a situation where you were, you were, everything was going great and then it crashed. Maybe you were laid off, maybe the economy went bad. And you're thinking, God, I thought I knew what you were doing. But this is a big change. We're trying to figure it out. What are they building? What are they putting together? What is God building? What is He putting together? When we wonder about the cross, God, what are you doing? What are you doing? That's what the people were thinking in that day. God, what are you doing? Just as we're looking at this now and we're thinking, man, what are, what are they doing? What are they building? What's this going to be? What's it going to look like? I want to assure you today. You may be ex experiencing a Friday, a time when everything looks bad, a time when your hopes and dreams seem to be dying, 
But I assure you, God is not through. He has a plan. and He's working his plan. But sometimes his plan looks much different than what we thought it was going to be. Perhaps right now you're unemployed. Perhaps you've lost your job. Perhaps your marriage is having difficulty. Maybe you have a wayward child. Maybe the plans that you had for retirement were just upended. God still has a plan and he's not done. Don't give up on the promises of God. He's doing something great. You just don't know what it is today. You see, sometimes when we're going through difficulties, we make a statement kind of like, God, I don't understand you at all. But instead, maybe we should say, God, I don't understand what you're doing right now. I don't understand this. We can still understand God in a bigger picture. Maybe we have questions about what is happening right now. Just like we're wondering what these guys are doing. What do you think? What could it be? we see it. It's a fence. That's what it is. It's a fence. So I can hide and not have to see anyone. Or I can peek out and take a look and hide again. It's a fence. Fences are there to keep people out and to keep people safe. But is that what God was doing? Was he building a fence to try and make this separation to where we could hide from the world, we could hide from people who aren't Christians, and we could just maybe peek out at them every once in a while? And it keeps all the bad people out. Is that what God was doing on that Good Friday? Is that what it was all about? Building a fence. I would submit to you that God was not building a fence. He had a much different idea in mind. When he said, he whom the Son sets free is free indeed, he was not talking about a, a freedom from a government. He was talking about a deeper freedom that only he can set us free from. So if God wasn't trying to build a fence of separation by sending Jesus to the cross and dying for our sins, what was he doing? Let's see what God was really up to. It's not a fence. Now, this is different. 
This is what Jesus was doing. This was the plan of God. Not a fence to keep certain people out and certain people in, but it was a table. A table where he says, come. I'm inviting you to come be a part of my family. I'm inviting you to come and be free. I'm inviting you to come and experience a relationship that you've never experienced before. An experience with a God as Father to live a life where we are welcomed at the table of God. The Word of God talks about this. What is the table that God references in His Word? First, we see it's a place of restoration. In the book of uh, Revelation chapter 3, Jesus is giving a message to the seven churches, and he says to the one church, he said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and I will eat with him and he with me. You see, there's a restoration that comes through Christ because he died on the cross in our place. Then we can have a relationship with God the Father because The problem of sin has been solved if we accept what Christ has done for us on the cross. And he then welcomes us to come and eat, to come and dine with him, and to have fellowship with him. It is a table of restoration. I want to ask you this question. Has your life been restored to God? Are you off doing your own thing, going your own way, trying to make the best of this life as best as you can... Or have you come along and said, you know what, Lord, I I need to be restored to a right relationship with you? Maybe you've accepted Christ at some point in time in your life, and maybe at one time you were just really on fire for him. It was awesome, but you've slowly strayed. You've slowly gone off course, and there needs to be a restoration. Just like any two humans would need a restoration when the relationship has gone In different directions, there needs to be a restoration. This is a table of restoration. Jesus Christ died on the cross so you and I could be restored to God. It is a table of restoration. But not only is it a table of restoration, it's also a table of refuge. It is a place where we can come and find refuge. But we find that reference in a verse that you are very familiar with. It's probably the the most well-known psalm of all, Psalm 23. But in verse 5, it says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You see, God is not wanting us to simply separate ourselves from our enemies like with a fence or a wall. He's saying, no, I, I will prepare a table before you in the presence of your enemies because I've told you to love them. You know, Jesus never said you should trust your enemies. What he said was you should love your enemies because love is more powerful than trust. And so in the middle of enemies, in the middle of people who don't like us, who actually want to do us harm, he says, I'm going I'm to prepare a table before you. And I want to show even your enemies how blessed you are, how prosperous you are, how your soul prospers how you prosper with joy and gladness and happiness and forgiveness. That's the God that we serve. It is a God who says, I prepare a table before you in the presence of your enemies. But lastly, it's a place of relationship. 
And this is where we go all the way back to King David. And after he had established himself as king, and he thought to himself, Saul, King Saul, the first Saul, was definitely David's enemy. Saul tried to kill him many times. So he recognized Saul was the king, but yet an enemy also. But now Saul is dead. But David thought to himself, who from the family of Saul can I bless? And so he had his men investigate, and they came up with a a young guy named Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth was Saul's grandson. And through an accident when he was very young, he was crippled in both feet. He couldn't walk. So here he's the first king's grandson, but he can't walk. David called for him and said, I want you to come come here to the palace. And of course, Mephibosheth is thinking, this is the end. This is the end of my life. This is over now. He's, He's going to kill me because I'm of the lineage of the rival king. But David had quite the other idea in mind. He said, Mephibosheth, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to restore the land of your grandfather to you. I'm going to pay someone to cultivate that land so that you'll have a source of income. And this is also what I'm going to do. You are going to eat at my table with my family for the rest of your life. This is what it says in 2 Samuel 9.13. It says, Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table and he was lame in both feet. He always ate at the king's table. I want you to encourage you today. You can always eat at the king's table. Because you have been chosen. You have been selected. You are a part of the family. We talk about terms like you've been grafted in, you've been adopted. That's the way we are. We are adopted by God. We're grafted into his family and we always eat at his table. You don't ever have to worry about God pushing you away from his table. Jesus said, anyone who comes to me, I will never push them away. So you have an open door right now with God to eat at his table. My question to you is this. Have you been eating at his table? Are you a believer in Christ, but you've strayed away? The relationship is very distant. I'm asking you and encouraging you, please be restored back to the table. He's going to welcome you. He's got a place set for you. It's a table where you belong. It doesn't matter what you've done Allow God to restore the relationship through your repentance to say, God, I'm sorry. I've I've drifted. I want back at the table. And he's got a place waiting for you. It's also a table of refuge. He knows how to protect you. You might be going through some tough times right now, but he knows how to protect you. Come to the table. It is a place of refuge where you can gain strength, not only from Christ, but from his body, the church. And lastly, it truly is that table of relationship, that ongoing relationship with God, eating at his table, getting filled with his spirit, filled with the bread of life that he gives to us. I want to encourage you to know you have a place at God's table, but are you at God's table? That's the real question. And if your answer is yes, great. If your answer is no, then I would ask, what are you going to do about that? Because the table is here. The table of God is is there. He's inviting you in. If you're not at the table, what are you going to do about that? 
Well, what God tells us to do about that is to repent. That means to come to God and say, God, I've sinned, I'm sorry, and I don't want to go that way any longer. I don't want to go my own way. I'm going to come to your table and be restored. I want to live in close relationship with you, dining, eating at your table. He will never push you away.